if we can remotely monitor patients and monitor their vitals and intervene when it's necessary, I think we'll, again, see a great benefit come from that overall in the healthcare system. From my perspective here, the, one of the biggest challenges is really how do we represent the data so that it's useful in the end for clinical decision? And how do we exchange this kind of data, especially in this in-home setup, remote monitoring setup? We are changing the business model from selling products to selling the solutions to the healthcare problems of their end users. And I think it's just the beginning of that journey. Hello and welcome to this episode of Shine, a podcast by Star. Today we're talking about medtech challenges and regulations. And the big idea behind this episode is are regulators walking that fine line between keeping people safe and igniting innovation? To help answer this question, we're joined by David Box, the Global Managing Director of Digital Healthcare and MedTech at Star, Tomash Hook, who is the Director of Regulatory Consulting and Technology at Star, and also Stefan Schlichting, who is a manager at Unity AG Consulting and Innovation. So in this episode, we'll dig into the biggest challenge that medical device designers face today, the considerations that developers need to make when building out the internet of medical things, and of course, are medtech regulators walking that fine line between keeping people safe and igniting innovation. Let's jump in right now, and the first voice you'll hear will be that of Stefan. Hello, my name is uh, Stefan Schichting. I'm a manager for Unity, a management consultancy for innovation and digital transformation. My focus is in the areas of future business and advanced development, mainly in the medtech industry, and uh, working on developing regulatory pathways as well as architectures for interoperable network digital products, may it be software only, software as a medical device products or hardware products that are used in this context. And David. Hi, Tom. Thanks. I'm the global managing director for STARS Health Tech Practice. You know, at STAR, we believe in improving uh, lives with digital solutions that are really a pleasure to use. We focus on supporting our clients along the, the product development lifecycle, really from end game to market ready. This means that we start by really understanding where our customers envision their product to be and develop a plan on how to get them there as well as support them once they're there. And we do that with regulatory strategy services, with design services. So that's both industrial design as well as uh, visual and interaction design. And uh, last but certainly not least is a host of software engineering support services in order to make their product come to life. And then post-market launch, we're able to support our, our customers in a, in a variety of different ways, um, even with various different levels of, of post-market support. Hi there, my name is Tomasz Puk. I'm director of the regulatory consulting and technology at Star Global. Uh, by education, I'm software developer, software engineer, and uh, at Star, I'm uh, yeah, joining towards of the regulatory approach and software engineering just to let everybody understand each other. I support uh, software development teams in defining the regulatory strategy, providing the documentation required to put products on the market. And on the other hand, I help uh, yeah, software engineering teams to understand how and why certain processes in the software engineering domain shall be executed. Okay, let's jump in with the first big question of today is, 
What, what do we think is the biggest challenge that medical device designers face today? Yes, of course. So I think besides regulatory introductions like the NDR, I think from a content perspective, the biggest regulatory challenge is actually that today, I think it's expected that more and more devices, medical devices, exchange data with each other. So they get connected. And how do we bring products into the market that are connected, that maybe communicate with other medical devices, maybe even from other manufacturers to achieve a certain yeah, diagnostics or reporting medical goal? I think that's probably the, the most or the biggest challenge from my perspective for medical device manufacturers. How do we bring these kind of products into the market so that we still are uh, have a short time to market and actually get into the market so we take the regulatory burden or hurdle? I might add to that as well, really designing the system in such a way that makes it almost modular uh, so that you can take advantage and have the flexibility in your product in order to be able to make changes a little more readily without having to resubmit the entire system as a, as a medical device. So really kind of focusing in on that the device and what is actually part of the regulated device and what is not, I think is also kind of a key area that, that we particularly focus on in order to provide our customers with the most flexibility in their, in their product. Okay, I would agree starting with the engineering complexity. So nowadays, when we look at the classical internet of medical things, we are talking about the system consisting of the edge medical devices, quite often mobile application which supports communication with the edge devices and supporting uh, communication with the end user. Then we've got another medical device uh, sitting on the usually cloud deployed part of the system, analyzing the data, and then another system presenting the data to the healthcare personnel. So in that configuration, we are talking about the system of various medical devices which have to communicate with each other. So it's already a challenging product from the engineering perspective. And the other challenge I would like to point out are new business models, because there are a lot of physical medical devices which have been produced by manufacturers for years by now. And as we are approaching the connected uh, medical devices, I think building the business models which are justified, which are suited for purpose and which serve both end users and the organizations which provide those products is something that is uh, yeah, sought after nowadays. Yeah, Got it. So what I'm essentially hearing is that as the the volume of devices that new devices need to talk to increases the complexity of coming into that this world and, and having to speak to all these different devices is the core challenge. That's what you said initially, right, Stefan? Yeah, and I think together with this, then of course the, the regulatory challenges, how do we really separate it, as, as David mentioned, uh, maybe what is a medical device part, maybe what is not a medical device part of that system, how do they interact with each other, which party has which responsibility or which medical device has which responsibility in the end to deliver the yeah, the clinical intended use of the overall system. So is it the role of the regulator to essentially write the rules that these new devices have to abide by when they come into the market? Just to clarify, I know this is, that's a very basic question. I think it's not really the role to write the yeah, like the responsibilities of the different parties. That's probably something that the industry does in, in standards. But of course, it's from my perspective, the role of the, the regulators to give the right framework 
that uh, you can still submit, for example, these kind of devices. And uh, for example, the I think the FDA did uh, release a guidance in 2017 regarding interoperable medical devices in order to set a framework of what they would expect, like what kind of evidence, how the intended use should look like um, for these kind of products. Makes sense. I want to jump back over to Tomash and your mention of the Internet of Medical Things. Could you just clarify what you mean by that? And then what are the specific considerations that developers need to take into account as we build out this Internet of Medical Things? Internet of Medical Things is specific uh, implementation of the Internet of Things. But Internet of Medical Things, when you look at the classical configuration of such a system, we can imagine having so-called edge uh, medical device. So a device that is used, let's say, by a lay user at their home environment, and it can be used for any you know, monitoring or therapy uh, at the end uh, user uh, part of the system. Then we will have uh, that uh, device being connected because connectivity is one of the paradigms of the Internet of Medical Things or Internet of Things. And that part will be connected. Quite often, it will be connected through a mobile application, which quite often will be also a medical device class application. And that application will be used by this end user to maybe control uh, that edge device to get uh, information back from the healthcare personnel and take actions at the patient end uh, of, of that system. Yeah. Then uh, the mobile app will quite often take the data from the edge device and send it to the a cloud part of the overall solution. So there, the, all the business intelligence uh, processing will take place and any diagnosis and the feedback generated back to the patient and user could be prepared at that part of the solution. And if we have the healthcare personal engaged in that overall internal of medical things, quite often we'll find there a portal, like a web portal when a health healthcare personnel responsible for a certain group of patients and user can take actions upon uh, this group. Yeah. So uh, to summarize your what would be a classical internet of medical things, connected edge uh, medical devices, kind of the connectivity, which quite often is a mobile application talking to the edge device, then sending data back to the cloud backend system, and then a portal for the healthcare personnel. And if you apply it to specific conditions or diagnostic purpose, you will arrive at the Internet of Medical Things solution. Yeah, Makes sense. I want to dig in a little bit more on the regulatory side. So I understand there is some European legislation that they basically state the devices should have to introduce each other on, on this network. Could you share more about that? The current legislation in Europe, it's a medical device regulation, which is in force uh, since 26th of May 2021. And one of the elements which I personally, as software engineer, like in that leg legislation is that it uh, pays attention to software, software as a medical device. And for example, one of the elements required by uh, systems, medical device software systems, is to introduce the UDI-DI information. So more or less, if we have this edge medical device that I described in the classical internet of medical things, and that device is communicating over non-user interface. So let's say Bluetooth communication with this mobile application, there's a requirement that this edge device should introduce itself what device we are talking to. 
And th thanks to that, knowing the uh, protocol that this particular version of device is using, we should be able to address the challenge that Stefan mentioned to what kind of the medical device over what protocol we should be communicating uh, with. So uh, that's one of the requirements to present the UDI, uh, DI, so via the non-user interface uh, communication API. Yeah, and maybe uh, just to add to this. So as you just mentioned, for example, the UDI is one part to identify the, the physical objects or the software as a medical device. If you have later uh, on problems in the field and that you see, okay, what happens to these devices? And as this was established, like, I don't know, five, six years ago or even longer, for example, we started to introduce it into the uh, communication standards that we have the possibility if you adhere, for example, to some of the communication standards, they always will foresee now something that you can include this kind of metadata that you could use for regulatory purposes so that you really know which device is communicating with each other and uh, that you can also document it, for example, which kind of measurements came from that device, uh, maybe on which patient was it used, so that you later on, if you have a recall or something like that, then you could see, okay, these data came out of these devices, maybe do a, can I still trust this kind of data? Um, so that's why, for example, these identifiers are in nowadays, yeah, uh, state-of-the-art protocols defined for the medical device industry, yeah, are included. To add to that, that quite often when we design the Internet of Medical Things solution, we are not able to control any all parts of that, more or less. So if we've got the edge medical device, it can be provided by a third-party manufacturer with the different hardware version, with the different software version. And we should be able, as Stefan mentioned, to point out if we can safely communicate with this particular product version and how we should inter interpret that data. And the same applies even to the mobile application. Not always we can force our end users or customers to update the latest version of our medical device class mobile app because it takes time maybe some people don't have connectivity they will not accept updates etc so uh, quite often we have to accept the fact that we not always can update all the elements of the internet uh, internet of medical things solutions thus we have to understand to what version we are talking and how we should interpret the data coming from that particular uh, version of the yeah, product that finally constitutes Internet of Medical Things solution. I think something not to be overlooked here is certainly the whole strategy behind this, right? You can very quickly fall into disparate silos of, of products and services that aren't, while they're communicating separately with other systems and devices, they're not talking to each other or are laid out in a coherent fashion. So you know, the product strategy and road mapping component of this is, is critical to keep in mind as well. Added to that, the, the overall kind of architecture of a, a platform to help these devices communicate in unison, as opposed to finding yourself in disparate silos. At the end of the day, I think what we, we can't lose sight of is the user, and we can't lose sight of the workflow that the user experiences. Anything that we're doing to add complexity to that workflow is, is going to be a challenge. There's a ton of complexity in the workflows today for, for various different healthcare professionals, and for that matter, some patients. And adding degrees of complexity to that is just going to be, 
is honestly, I don't believe will lead to success with any one given product or suite of products. Thank you for the more higher level strategic perspective, David. It's actually good to contrast that because Tomash has been giving us some very detailed uh, points. And I'd actually like to highlight, I know you guys made an acquisition recently. Could you just share a little bit more? So Start Acquired Pro for People, which is Tomash's business. Could you share a little bit about why that's such an important acquisition for Star? Absolutely. So the acquisition of Pro for People, I feel, was really a no-brainer, nearly from from the word go, as we, we got to know each other's companies. We're very closely aligned from a, a strategy perspective. We're very closely aligned from a culture perspective and from a, an industry focus perspective. While Star has been in the med tech business for years, the acquisition of Pro4 People really enabled us to increase our, our ability and our skill in order to deliver deeper for our clients, further upstream for our clients. Um, I think we can now bring solid regulatory strategy to the table through this acquisition and really service our customers in an even greater end-to-end fashion uh, than we were able to in years prior. So it was a great fit. It remains a great fit, the acquisition. Uh, We're able as one company to do much more than we would have been able to as two separate companies. So uh, yeah, I'm sure Tomas will give you his perspective on it as well, since he was the one of the founding members of Pro4 People. But certainly from my perspective, this has been a very solid experience. Yes, I do agree that the, the cultural fit was the most important for us just to, to commit to becoming a part of, of STAR. I think what was also very important for us, we've realized that there are more and more requirements towards the suppliers of the medical device software. And these systems are built to last. These systems are basically built to last like, you know, under MDR, a 10 years plus perspective. That's the basic perspective when you look at the medical devices. Thus, becoming part of the organization like STAR allows us jointly to to answer that uh, demand from the clients and become this uh, partner over the medical device products, which lifespan is easily counted in uh, yeah, 15 or 20 years plus, yeah? because the diagnosis of, let's say, skin cancer will not change that rapidly in that time duration. Yeah? All right, let's get a bit more specific about one type of medical device slash product. So remote patient monitoring systems, what are the current adoption challenges that are being faced? General for remote patient monitoring system, maybe maybe to elaborate a little bit on this, uh, remote patient monitoring is one of the things, for example, that uh, during the pandemic is really helpful because you could monitor your patient even while they're maybe not uh, in the acute care hospital, maybe they're at home, and uh, you can still give them the feeling that they are watched. Um, I think that's one of the most important things, especially at the beginning of, of the uh, corona crisis. I think that was very important because not everyone could go into the hospital, could be taken care of, at least. Uh, and for these purposes, it was maybe already good enough to, to give them something that monitors the main, maybe the saturation or the respiratory rate, maybe the ECG. And gives an alarm maybe to the caregivers when something goes out there so that they can then call them maybe invite them to the hospital and here we already see we we needed to set up yeah a lot of uh, devices that get connected get gets across borders maybe are connected uh, to the facilities in hospitals or somewhere else and they need to exchange data for their purposes 
And of course, we also uh, needed to exchange data maybe from multiple companies that produce these devices. So, and you do not want to develop for each of these manufactured devices your own adapter and so forth, then we wouldn't have got there today. So from my perspective here, the one of the biggest challenges is really how do we represent the data so that it's useful in the end for a clinical decision? And how do we exchange this kind of data, especially in this in-home setup, remote monitoring setup? I think to Stefan's point, what we're experiencing today, pandemic aside, I think we, we've got another pandemic of sorts that's brewing globally, and that is an aging population issue. We've got in the U.S. alone 10,000 or over 10,000 people a day turning 65, and that's only in the U.S. We don't have the infrastructure to care for these people. And this is this trend, we're seeing this trend across the world. So I think the more care we can bring in home, the the easier it's going to be on the healthcare system to really reserve those resources for people that are truly in dire need. So if we can remotely monitor patients and monitor their, their vitals and intervene when it's necessary, I think we'll again, see a great benefit come from that overall in the healthcare system. So when we talk about challenges, there there are a multitude of, of them. And, and I think a standard from a data perspective is, is certainly one of them. We've got a lot of data that these devices are capturing. Some is being used, some is not. So it will be interesting to see how, as the technologies evolve, how we can benefit from this data overall. And again, not have have these systems work well with each other as opposed to working in disparate silos so that they actually get adopted and get used and get monitored. And naturally in some countries, um, there will be some need for some legislative changes around reimbursement practices for physicians so that these tools are actually adopted from a business perspective as well, and not just holistically from a care perspective. So there's a mountain of challenges that we're, we're staring down, but I think if there is a silver lining from the COVID pandemic, it is that it has really accelerated the adoption of these technologies and has highlighted the importance of these technologies overall outside of kind of the aging population type space. I think what really fosters this was uh, the pandemic that the adoption is. I remember when I uh, worked, I don't know, 10 years ago in, in Europe, I think it was called ambient assisted living, but it never really, yeah went off or uh, the ground broad sense and this now changed and um, this also changed for example with the, the regulatory agencies i just saw a summary last week from a group uh, initiated by the fda beginning of last year to handle remote patient monitoring and what needs to change in the standards world in the in the regulations world so that the system can more easily be introduced into the market so they are really active in this area of course, also with the background that you mentioned, David, uh, that it's not only for pandemic management relevant, but also afterwards, for example, for the aging population. To add to this remote patient monitoring, I do agree that one of the challenges, again, from the engineering perspective, is that uh, in the ideal world, I should go to a pharmacy and buy, let's say, you know, hypertension meter or any medical device that I can take home, connect to my uh, yeah, internet and make it, yeah, have it sending data to, to the backend part that will be monitoring me as a potential 
patient. And I think uh, on that level, we are not yet there on the engineering part. Yeah. So the standardization is needed so we can connect and take data from any medical device, uh, take it to the medical device platform and use it for the remote patient monitoring. Yeah. We've taken part in the development of, of such products, but that's usually with the dedicated edge medical devices. So we know exactly to what kind of the medical device we are communicating. Having that standardized on the open uh, communication protocols would enable anybody to take data from such edge device, process it, and then come back with the diagnosis or action upon a given patient. Yeah. And the other important fact here is understanding that this remote patient monitoring is not real-time monitoring. So actually, we should always take into account there is some kind of the delay, the connectivity can be down, etc. So it cannot be used for an application, but for prediction of the chronic diseases, changes in the health status, that's ideal solution from which we can greatly benefit as patients and end users. I'm pretty positive about uh, the standardization. So I, I gave a talk, I think last year uh, on a fire conference and uh, directly about remote patient monitoring uh, using uh, fire as a standard. Mm -hmm. And I think we had something like 300 participants from all over the place, from manufacturers to IT systems. So I see that there's uh, light at the end of the tunnel. We come to a standard, we come to agree on something that we can use technically. And this will, of course, maybe also help us in how to do it on the regulatory way, because maybe the roles are better defined. Who needs to deliver data? How do they have to mark the data? If the quality is, for example, good enough to do it, use it for real-time patient monitoring, because these are, of course, applications that are envisioned, uh, that are currently worked on. and that are possible to develop and even to release to the market if you have the right risk management maybe in place. So it's all possible. It might be a software as a medical device. And so I think we, we are actually way better than we have been, let's say, five years ago, where we didn't even have a, had a technical foundation and just maybe some thoughts on how we could do it and how we also can present evidence that this is safe, secure, and effective to regulatory bodies. I think when, when it comes to real-time data as well, 5G and the, the prolification of 5G is certainly helping with that as well, um, so that you can have that constant monitoring. So you know, when we look back at the early days of the pandemic, we saw companies like Massimo come out with a PulseOx monitor, a remote monitoring system that was a, a real-time uh, monitoring system to manage the blood oxygen levels of, of, or monitor the blood oxygen levels of patients that were suffering from, from COVID, but were not yet ready to be admitted to hospital in order to kind of reduce that burden. We're seeing glimpses of it, certainly, um, in, in real time. But uh, yeah, I totally uh, agree with your point, Tomas, that it's, we're, we're not quite there yet, but hopefully as we start to see 5G technologies become more and more prolific, uh, that will, will help from a technological perspective, kind of spread that uh, that real-time capability. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, when I look at the average edge medical device, it will have usually one connectivity yeah, channel. So what you described, we can easily embed in the product 
you know, redundancy in the connectivity channel. So we can use, you know, 5G, we can use any technology available just to send data, make sure that the data is small enough that we can always push it, etc. But the average medical device we would be using at home, usually it will be, yeah, with a reasonable price, single communication channel, thus the business model should be adjusted. And Stefan, to your point, I do agree there's a light at the end of this tunnel. I think the standardization is, uh, yeah, should be treated by the industry as a way to understand that we are building, building quite complex solutions which should be working with each other, yeah? And uh, I do agree that uh, the one thing is standardization, the other is the adaptation of the standards by the industry, by newcomers, manufacturers, to understand that if we make those systems connected, they will be turned into the yeah, patient benefit at the end. Yeah, yeah and uh, maybe just to add to that point, from my perspective, if you, for example, use a standard for the communication, uh, so for example, the standard that I'm responsible for, for uh, from IEEE uh, level 73, we also deliver you like a, a, a yeah, like a white paper, a technical report that explains how you can demonstrate conformance and what your responsibility is uh, with this technical approach. So that you as a manufacturer can easily argument why this is safe, secure and effective and how we split up the roads and responsibilities. And of course, this is all discussed, uh, for example, in, in Europe with uh, some notified body groups, uh, in the US with uh, the FDA, my co-chair is uh, from, uh, from the FDA. So we discuss it there, that they already know all these concepts. And then when you use the standard, you can refer to these concepts and make your life way easier for your submission. Awesome. I do want to try and jump into a specific example of regulatory changes for a medical device. David, actually, you previously mentioned about IVDR, so in vitro diagnostic regulation. Can you share a little bit more about what, what's coming up uh, in terms of regulatory changes in that area? So right now we've got MDR, which is, has been already applicable since 26th of May uh, this year. And uh, in Europe, we are still under all IVD directive. That's the yeah, 29-79-EC directive. And that one will be replaced uh, by 26th of May 2022 by IVD uh, regulation. So that's the 2017-746. Uh, and what it means that uh, actually we've got the last more or less couple of months under the old directive and the new um, IVD regulation will bring the as significant change to in vitro diagnostic medical device manufacturers as a medical device regulation brought to the medical device manufacturers. So uh, it's being said that uh, up to now, about 75% of the in vitro medical device uh, could be self-certified, while uh, after the change, only about 25% of the in vitro medical devices will be uh, capable of the self-certification, which means that manufacturers of the in vitro medical devices will have to bring notified body for C-marking their product, and the products will be uh, developed under quality management systems, uh, which will be audited by an independent notified body again. Yeah, So there will be a huge change in that respect. Again, as a potential end users of these systems, 
I'm quite positive about uh, that change because at the end, it should really result in uh, products of the better uh, quality, at least in my opinion. Yeah. That leads very nicely onto my next question, which is a high-level strategic subjective question. In, do we think that regulations or regulators are walking that fine line between enabling products to get better, e.g. driving innovation versus obviously keeping people safe? I think, uh, yeah, trying to connect both the software engineering world and the regulatory world, I think at least in Europe, the MDR brought quite positive change. Because uh, right now, it's quite hard to put software as a medical device product, which is self-certified, which I'm quite positive as, again, potential end users of these products. Yeah, So I feel much safer if I know that the products meet some uh, standard quality. Yeah? On the other hand, when we look at the US regulations and also European regulations, I've seen a lot of the movement from the regulatory side to address the changes in, for example, machine learning, AI solutions. So the regulators, they have to, they understand, they have to adopt to the practice and this change, which, which results in more and more software playing important role in medical device systems. So I see positive changes from the both regulatory and industry perspective. We have problem, in my opinion, in Europe with the shortage of the notified bodies right now. But I hope that the challenge will be resolved over next months or years. Yeah, Stefan? I completely agree. I think it's very positive that it's actually discussed these kind of software-enabled innovations yeah, together with the regulators and, and so forth. Because it's, of course, a little bit different than the classical medical devices uh, that we might have out there. If I see the discussions uh, that uh, we have, uh, especially in the fields of, let's say, interoperability or in the fields of, uh, as you just mentioned, Thomas, AI, then I think that's a really big step forward that, uh, of course, there are already products that want to come into the market. So the first movers, um, they may be not benefit completely from the discussions right now. But I think for the big waves that's coming up, they really benefit from, from the current discussions, from what might be laid down later in regu regulations or, or laws, or, for example, in these kind of guidances uh, that we discussed for interoperability. And, and I know, for example, the FDA is discussing the same for AI. I think that's very, very helpful so that the regulatory science community actually discusses on how could we ensure that only products that are safe, secure, and effective come into the market. I think that's very positive. Of course, this might sometimes be, um, let's say, if I come from a startup world or whatever and want to go fast into the market, this might look a little bit like a, a big wall uh, that's built up there. But I think in the end, it, it just ensures that we have a good overall quality in the market and security, uh, safety in the market for all the devices. Awesome. Then just to finish off, I'd like to um, ask each of you, which med tech device or piece of software or implementation do you think is right now having the biggest impact on the lives of patients? It's a bit of a loaded question because I think you could point to any segment in healthcare and, and find a piece of software or a connected device that's improving patient outcomes. Or we're seeing technologies 
from companies where they're applying artificial intelligence in order to deliver uh, clinical decision support tools. We're seeing companies that are creating products that are really able to review and, and create diagnostics based on images. Uh, so looking into the PACS imagery and, and diagnosing certain illnesses or cases that are helping uh, bring these sicknesses to the forefront and helping patients get care quicker. I don't think I can point to any one necessarily group and say, yes, this is driving the most impact. Looking forward into the future, I see these types of devices helping people lead healthier lives as well, as opposed to just being reactionary when there is an issue already. So I think if we look at, 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 at it from that aspect, if we look at it from the chronic disease management um, type aspect and helping people live better with a condition they already have, I think that that holds a, a significant amount of promise uh, for the industry. But certainly, I think we can look at every corner and, and, and find ways that this technology is helping uh, improve patient outcomes. From my perspective, when I look at what I, what I have subscribed to in all the news channels, uh, like from a topics perspective, that's of course, as David said, uh, everything related to AI. Uh, when they maybe use it for recommending systems, maybe not uh, doing diagnostic, yeah, that's okay. But what I really like is uh, if they, for example, give guidances uh, to the clinical practitioners on how they can do it best, uh, how is it maybe done in other houses and, and so forth. That I find really fascinating uh, on how this works and how the system crunch all the data, the inputs uh, over the patient, maybe other patient groups, and a different recommendation on, on based on that topic. That's one part. And uh, the other part um, I'm always interested in is uh, how you could use more sensors uh, to get the patient status. And for example, I, I saw a company, I think it's in the US-based uh, uh, AI, I think it's called, and they monitor the patient, how they are uh, in the bed. They try to detect, uh, has the patient been turned or, or so forth with uh, basically camera-based systems. And um, I find super interesting, maybe due to my background, working on these kind of computer vision systems, but that's the topics I always watch. And I also see them because they show that you can bring these kind of products into the market with the current regulations. It's possible. And so innovation is actually possible, even in this highly regulated market. I agree that uh, when it comes to, to the biggest opportunity, I look at the using of the AI or machine, machine learning uh, solutions for the early diagnosis. So basically right now, looking at some of the projects we have taken part, where the problem was on the providing the right diagnosis to the end patient with the proper usage of the technology, applying AI, cloud-based infrastructure that scales, we can actually shift the challenge from arriving at the diagnosis to the moment of collecting the data from the patient that the, the uh, diagnosis can be based upon. So actually, we don't have the problem anymore within the healthcare system, but with getting data from the patient and sending that to the healthcare system. And uh, with that capabilities, you can easily think about diagnosing cases really going beyond what's possible right now in the healthcare system. So I think that that's a very interesting opportunity here. And on the other aspect, I'm pretty interested in what the manufacturers of this edge medical devices 
what they can offer to their end users when they turn them into the connected products. Because we've seen actually people, uh, some companies manufacturing unconnected medical devices, once they connected uh, the devices, they can look at the actual problem of their end users' patients and solve these problems with the help of their assistants, healthcare personnel, etc. So we are changing the business model from selling products to selling the solutions to the healthcare problems of their end users. And I think it's just the beginning of, of that journey that I'm quite interested where it's going to arrive at. Yeah? Amazing. Thank you, Tomasz. And I want to also thank David and Stefan for coming on and illuminating this topic. We've gone into the software development, we've gone into the regulations, and then we've also now looked to the future. So each of you, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Tom. Stefan, Thomas, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I feel like we did get to the answer of the question. The response from all three of our experts, David, Tomash, and Stefan, was positive. We believe that regulators are doing a good job of walking that fine line between keeping people safe, but also enabling innovation, though there are some other considerations that I'm sure you heard in the episode. But I want to thank David, I want to thank Tomash, I want to thank Stefan for jumping on and illuminating this topic for us. And I also want to thank you for listening. If you have any feedback, please leave that in the form of a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We read all of them, we take on the feedback, and we're using that feedback to improve the show going forward. So thank you again for listening. Mm-hmm.